On her first trip to the tomb, Mary Magdalene, like so many people throughout the church age, did not check out the facts concerning the Lord's resurrection. Facts that were right before her eyes. She did not see the supernatural. She did not see the angel. I don't know why, but she did not see the angel who had rolled away the stone and was sitting on it. She didn't see the empty tomb. Why? Because she didn't patiently take the time to go into it and investigate the facts. Why? Because she was too focused on the natural. She was so focused on that which is natural, like the rolled away stone and the empty tomb, that she did not see the supernatural. She didn't see the angel, and she didn't see the empty grave clothes. Many people today do the very same thing. When they do not take the time to investigate the evidence concerning the Lord Jesus Christ for themselves. They do not dig deeper, for example, into God's truth revealed in his word, which is full of supernatural evidence of its divine authorship. Isn't that what we find as we dig deeper? It is full, just stock full from Genesis to Revelation of evidence, supernatural evidence that this book was written by God Almighty. But most people don't like to dig deeper, do they? I don't know why. I've never yet figured that out. They simply look at what they perceive to be emptiness and they jump to wrong conclusions. Isn't that what Mary did? And uh, they jump to wrong conclusions such as that this book has been tampered with by human hands and uh, you can't really trust it as being divinely authored. And then they go running off to share with others their lack of knowledge. The message of Mary Magdalene regarding the stolen body of the Lord illustrates this to us. She ran off to men with very heavy hearts, men who needed the glorious and victorious message of the resurrection, didn't they? But she did not carry that message to them. Instead, she carried a message that only enhanced their grief and their unbelief. They have taken the Lord. That was her message to the disciples. Is that not a message of unbelief? They have taken the Lord. What else is it? You did this in your homework. Is it not an oxymoron? It is. If Jesus is Lord, think about this. She called him Lord. They have taken away the Lord. If he is Lord, how could anybody do anything with him that was not his will? Had he not told all of them that no man would take his life, but that he would lay it down of his own will, and that, what, then he would take it up again? Is not Mary's original message to Peter and, and John similar to the message of apostates in Christendom today? They call Jesus Lord. They call him Lord, but then they tamper with his book by denying its inerrancy. If he is truly Lord, don't you think he has the power to write a book accurately and without, contradict, without contradiction? I was again reading one of those commentators that said, oh, this is just full, this whole resurrection account is full of contradictions and you can't trust it. Oh, of course you can. If you just harmonize the four Gospels and put them together... 
If he is Lord as they say, then why do they deny the supernatural? Why do they deny his power to create the universe and turn instead to unbelieving scientists and their theories about beginnings? Why do they deny his commandments, mock his predictions of yet future events? Why do they try to compromise when it comes to his words about such sins as adultery, fornication, homosexuality, and pagan practices such as sacrificing one's own children. Mary called Jesus Lord, but she did not yet realize that he truly is. That he truly is Lord. He is the resurrection and, what else? The life. He is the. He had said that. He is the resurrection and the life. He had also said, he is the way, the truth, and what else? And the life. Not just life. He is the life. In him and by him and through him. Think that through, that statement in Colossians. In him and by him and through him, all things exist. There is nothing made that he did not make. And nothing that he does not hold together. To bring his dead body back to life, to resurrected life, was not a difficult thing for the one who is life himself. That's not difficult for him. The one who is the origin of all things. The alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the eternal self-existent one. Mary gave a message, at least her first time around. I'm glad she came back. (laughs) But her first time around, she gave a message that only encouraged unbelief in the resurrected Lord, the lordship of Jesus. She encouraged unbelief in his lordship, even though she called him Lord. She gave a message that had no hope in it. They have taken away the Lord. Is that a message of hope? She had given a message that certainly had no joy in it. What was it? It was a message of error. It was a message that was not based on the facts. She drew the wrong conclusion because she did not patiently remain at the tomb and properly investigate the situation. Go into the tomb, see the grave clothes, and then also hear the heavenly message of the resurrection proclaimed. If you're a fast person, slow down, be still, and know that he is God. Don't just jump to conclusions. You know, that's sometimes our only exercise, isn't it? <laughs> Jumping to conclusions. But she saw, she, did, she just saw the natural. She didn't see the supernatural. And off she went with a message of error not based on the truth. And I was just trying to draw the comparison to what goes on in our world today in so many churches. That's exactly what goes on. When you dig and patiently investigate the facts, you get the heavenly message of the truth. Mary may have shown respect for Jesus by referring to him as Lord. But you see, that respect was negated by the fact that she did not believe his own promise of resurrection. How many times had he told all of them he would rise on the third day? Many times, at least seven recorded for us in the Gospels. But we know many other besides that. It is a good thing, indeed, that Mary returned to the tomb. 
Because then, thanks to the patience, thanks to the grace of the Lord himself, she did get her message right. And of course, I can't really blame Mary too much because who knows what I would have done if I was in her sandals, right? Or any of us. No one had ever resurrected bodily like that before. But aren't you glad that God, the Lord, is the God of the second chance? He took a woman who was on the road to destruction big time because she had been possessed by how many demons? Seven. And what does that tell us? Seven is the number of completion. She was under complete domination of the powers of evil. And he took that woman, gave her a second chance, and made her the very first person, very first person to ever see him in his glorified, resurrected body. Is that not grace? I mean, that is grace. And I think if we had the time to go around the room, I don't know if any of you have ever been possessed by seven demons, but I know a lot of us could give a testimony as to the grace of God in our lives. I don't know where I'd be without the grace of God. Probably long dead. (laughs) And in hell. Can he do the same work of grace in our lives as he did in Mary's life? Oh yeah, you bet it. Bet he can. Well, this is going to be at least a two-part study. It's the resurrection announced, and we're going to be looking at the announcement of the Lord's resurrection made, first of all, by angels to women. We all, as women, go, yes. (laughs) First ones to hear the resurrection message were women. And they were visiting, of course, the Lord's tomb in order to add additional spices to what Nicodemus and Joseph had, had done with his body. That's part one of our outline. That's all we're going to get to this morning is part one. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to consider the women's uh, response to that glorious announcement of the Lord's resurrection and then their proclamation of that announcement to the Lord's disciples. And we'll look at the Lord's disciples' response to the women's message. And it's pretty sad. (laughs) <laughs> and it's pretty enlightening to us, their, their concept of women back in those days. So three outline titles, the report to the women, the response of the women, and the reaction of the men, but today only the report to the women. Now, as we have mentioned in our last several lessons, there are some minor differences in the four gospel accounts one of which is with regard to the angels. Matthew tells us about, and we already studied this, you remember about the angel who descended from heaven. There was a great earthquake. That angel frightened away the Roman soldiers just by his appearance. He didn't even say boo or anything. I mean, just his appearance scared them. And then he single-handedly rolled away or took away the tombstone. And then what did he do on it, with it? He sat on it. He sat on it. And I said, you know, he waved to the soldiers. I don't know what he did, but he did sit on it. Uh, Now we find that Matthew continued his account of this particular angel. Uh, This angel speaks with the two remaining women. Who were they? Remember? Mary Magdalene got there, saw what she saw, turned and ran to tell Peter and John. But the other two women who had gone with her were Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and Salome, Mary, the mother's, lo- the 
mother's, the Lord's mother's sister, the Lord's aunt, Salome. So those two women, and maybe, maybe Joanna. We're not really sure if Joanna was there. But two or three women remain. And this angel that sat on the tombstone speaks to them. He likely would have also spoken to Mary Magdalene. But she had run off. Not because she had seen him, however, as the soldiers. That's why the soldiers ran off, because they saw the angel and they were scared and they also knew they were in big time trouble because the body had been taken or something happened to it. But uh, she ran off because she assumed that the Lord's body was stolen. Now, for the sake of keeping our angels straight, um, we're going to refer to this particular angel as the tombstone angel because he is the one who removed the tombstone and sat on it. Okay, so he's the tombstone angel. Mark, over in Mark's account, he speaks of an angel who looks like a young man. And he is inside the tomb, sitting. That's in Mark 16, verse 5. Luke tells us of two angels, and they are standing. Luke 24, 4. And John tells us of one angel sitting at the head of where Jesus' body had laid on the shelf inside the tomb. And another angel sitting at the Lord's feet. Now, we don't know how many angels came down for this momentous occasion. Perhaps if there had been a witness with keener vision, they might have seen hundreds of angels present in and around and about and over the tomb. I don't know. There could have been many, many angels. And only maybe two made themselves visible or four, or however many. I think there was probably only two that were visible. But uh, we do know that even though one angel made the proclamation at the time of Christ's birth, there were a multitude of angels in the air. Remember when the Bethlehem shepherds, there was one that made the proclamation, I can't speak today, (laughs) about the glad tidings of the Christ's birth, but there were multitudes of angels present to say glory to God in the highest and peace on earth and goodwill toward men. So we don't know exactly how many angels were involved in the scene at the at the empty tomb, but obviously there were at least how many? At least two, okay? So let's look at the report to the women from the tombstone angel, and for this I'm going to read Matthew 28, verses 5 to 7. Maybe I'll review and start at verse 1. Matthew 28, 1. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake for the angel, this is the tombstone angel, the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers, as the soldiers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered. Here's where we pick up our lesson today. And the angel answered and said unto the women. Now we know by meshing this with the other accounts that Mary Magdalene is gone. So the only women remaining are the other Mary and um, maybe Joanna and also Salome. So this angel says to the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. And then notice these words. As he said, come see the place where the Lord lay and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead and behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There ye shall see him. Lo, 
I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy and did run to bring his disciples' word. Mary Magdalene had dashed off to tell Peter and John the supposed bad news that someone had taken the Lord's body. However, the other two women remained at the tomb. Now, these two older ladies, and I say older, I mean older back then might have been 40s. <laughs> I say they were older than, than Mary probably because they were at least old enough to have sons who were apostles, right? Uh, Salome had James and John. And Mary, the mother of James and Joseph had James, who was James the Less. He was an apostle, so they were older. They, um, These two women may have arrived at the tomb slightly after Mary. It could be, you know, she left wherever she was staying before the sun was up. She could have gotten to the tomb, seen that it, the stone was rolled away, and run off right away, and then these other two a little bit slower women got there right behind her. And they're the ones, of course, who saw the angel, and the angel talked to them. They now become the first two people to ever hear the announcement of the Lord's resurrection. And they heard it directly from a heavenly, holy angel. You know, the first to hear the birth announcement of Christ were who? Lowly shepherds. Men. Men from Judea. Men who were held in low esteem and looked upon as ignorant, at least by the more educated Jews. Why? Because, well, they weren't schooled in the law. They weren't schooled in the Torah. And now here we find that the first to hear the resurrection announcement of Christ, also from holy angels, were lowly Galilean women. Isn't that interesting? The birth was lowly Judean men. The first to hear the resurrection message were lowly Galilean women. I always say he's an equal opportunity employer, isn't he? I mean, he just always seems to share everything. But, you know, women's testimony back in those days was considered practically worthless. Does that make you a little angry? That's the way it still is in a lot of parts of the world. They, they were not very, very seldom in a court of law was a woman's testimony even considered Pretty sad, huh? Well, think about this. <clears throat> if the gospel accounts were the works of Jewish men alone, you know, with no divine inspiration at all, just the works of men, do you think that they would have had lowly shepherds and lowly women as the reci first recipients and witnesses of both the birth and the resurrection of Jesus Christ? No, if, this, if these gospel accounts were written by men, who do you think would have been the first ones to have heard the birth announcement and to have heard the resurrection announcement? Men, yeah, Pharisees, uh, elite, the elite men of society back in that day um, in order to gain credibility. And I was reading a book that said that the early church was a little bit embarrassed about this, especially the women part. <laughs> That it was women who first heard the resurrection message from angels and were the first ones to see him resurrected. Well, to believers, however, it is obvious why the Lord chose common shepherds 
and common but faithful women for these important roles. What does it say in James chapter 2, verse 5? Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? Doesn't he do that so he gets the glory and confounds the wise and the men? <laughs> uh, note what an honor. I was thinking about this too. What an honor. I wonder if anybody's ever thought of this. Was bestowed upon the parents who gave birth and raised two very godly daughters. I don't know if they had sons as well. But they had two very godly daughters. One daughter was named Mary. And she was the first young woman to hear about the conception, of course, (laughs) of the Messiah, Savior, in her womb. The other daughter that these parents had and raised was Salome. And she was one of the first two women to hear of the resurrection of the Messiah, Savior, from the tomb. One the birth in the womb, the other the resurrection from the tomb. Mary and Salome. Salome, we don't talk much about her, but she was a godly woman. She was the Lord's aunt. She was Mary's sister. When Mary was just a young girl, maybe 14, 15 years old, and tried to tell people that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit, how many people do you think believed her? Not even Joseph at first till he had a dream from the Lord, right? But her own sister, Salome, I believe, knew her sister. You know how sisters can be? And she believed her. She believed her. And all along, you know, she watched Jesus. She compared him maybe with her two boys, James and John. But how would you like to have been the grandparents? Think of this. The parent, all we know is that their father's name was Heli, H-E-L-I, however you pronounce that. Helium. H-E-L-I. We don't know what their mother's name was. But, um... Those two people raised Mary and Salome and had five, at least five grandchildren with the following names. Think of this. Jesus Christ, (laughs) James, the first head of the Jerusalem church, was one of their grandsons. Then they had Jude, who wrote the little book of Jude, right before Revelation. And then... Also grandchildren, they had James and John, the sons of Thunder, you know, the sons of Zebedee, the sons of Salome. How would you like that for at least five of your grandsons? Whoa, pretty powerful, huh? They must have been good grandparents. I'm, I'm looking at that as a grandmother now, and I thought, that's pretty amazing. One was the Christ, and uh, four were apostles, <laughs> three were apostles, and two, oh, just amazing. Anyhow, I don't know when the women saw the angel the tombstone angel, because angels can appear and disappear, right? Obviously. Um, But when they did see him, what was their reaction? Unlike the Roman soldiers, I'm proud of them. They didn't fall over dead, did they? (laughs) But they were frightened. However, um, the angel immediately answered their fear. Now, he didn't answer the fear of the soldiers. He just let them fall over as dead men. But he answered the fear Um, And it's interesting because it says in verse 5, and the angel answered. And you think, well, what question was asked him? There was no question asked him. He just saw their fear. So he answered their fear with words to calm them. He said, fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus which was crucified. You know, those are words for us 
as well as they were for those two women. These are words to remind us that we have no cause for alarm, no matter what this wicked world is doing. And things are getting pretty scary in the world. I mean, now the latest threat seems to be North Korea, doesn't it? But it's always something. We have no need, really, to worry. Clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, we are safe. Safe and sound in the true ark. Jesus Christ. Those who seek the Lord Jesus have absolutely no reason to be afraid. On the other hand, the soldiers did have reason to be afraid because they were not interested in the one who had been crucified and buried in the tomb. However, these women were not only interested in him, they loved him. They loved him deeply. They had put their faith in him. And they had come to the tomb for the further purpose of ministering to him. They had been ministering to him, well, Salome, probably ever since he was born. And the other ones, you know, ever since they gave their heart to him. Even though he had been crucified, which was an accursed thing according to God's law. Remember, we learned that? It was cursed for any man to hang on a tree by God's law. And yet they still want to minister to him. These women knew that Jesus' death was unjustified. They knew he had done no wrong, and they still loved him, and they had come to honor him. So they didn't need to have any fear. They did not need to fear. Most people, you know, do not seek Jesus because he was crucified. The cross is a stumbling block to many, isn't it? How can you believe in a bloody Savior and a bloody cross? How can you put your faith in someone who was so weak that he was crucified? Most people, that's a stumbling block, or it's utter foolishness to them. But genuine believers love and seek Jesus, not only although he was crucified, but because he was crucified and became the curse of sin for us. Those with such seeking love in the crucified one have no need to fear anything. I think they say there's 365 fear ye nots in the Bible, one for every day of the year. We don't need to fear anything, especially a message that would come from a shining holy angel. Wouldn't you love to get a message from a holy angel? Yeah. Well, but and don't tell me if you already did, okay? <laughs> Now, before we look at the next words that came from the lips of this tombstone angel, who, by the way, you know, is spirit. Angels are spirit. They have no body, but they can take up on upon themselves the, the appearance of men, right? And that's what he did. He's a spirit, but he took on the appearance of a man, a young man. I don't know if any angel ever appeared as an old man to you. <laughs> they always look young. And isn't that what we would choose to <laughs> But we want to remember that these women had not come to the tomb early on that morning of the third day hoping to find Jesus had resurrected from the dead. And that's made obvious to us by the fact that they carried with them burial spices. And their conversation along the way had been concerning um, how they would manage to roll away that one to two ton stone. You know, how are we going to remove it? There was no conversation whatsoever about anything having to do with the Lord's promise, prediction to rise from the dead on the third day. They were very, very sad, weren't they? We could say they were in total despair. But when they get to the tomb, they're in shock. 
because they see that the obstacle of the great tombstone has been taken care of. So they're shocked about that. And then instant dread hits their hearts, as was evidenced by Mary Magdalene, because probably the first thing they thought of was also that his body was missing. Remember when she reports to to Peter and John, she says, we. So they all thought the same thing, that his body had been stolen. And then, with the realization of the presence of the angel, the women are frightened. But he is very quick to calm them. Although I don't know how successful that would be, you know, in trying to calm them. But just think of the vast array of emotions that they have gone through just in the past few minutes. Uh, Sorrow, despair, shock, dread, fear. And then the next words to come from the angel were going to really catch them by surprise. And when he spoke, guess what? All those emotions immediately dissipated. They were gone in just as many seconds as it took for the angel to speak them. Isn't that exciting? You know, you can be depressed and sad and just down, 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 and one phone call, one word from somebody, one read the scripture, and immediately all that can be gone in a second. What does it say in the Bible? Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. What did the angel say? He said, he is not here. He is risen. And then he had to throw this in, as he said. (laughs) Death could not hold him. The grave had no power to keep him. He's not here, ladies. He's risen. That is the great message of the resurrection. The angel's words, do you know this, have never, ever, ever been refuted, and they never will be. His body is nowhere on planet Earth, not even a bone or a piece of DNA. I don't know if you call it a piece. (laughs) His body is not here at all, not even disintegrated back into the dirt. He's gone. He is risen, as he said. You know, the Lord's most vicious enemies never could produce his body. And if they could have, would they have? Oh, yes, in a heartbeat. Can you just imagine the joy that suddenly flooded the souls of these women the moment the angel spoke that announcement? I mean, as it registered in their brains? Gone. Completely gone. Never to be remembered again. The sorrow. The sorrow is gone. It's like when you give birth to a baby. All the pain, what? Gone. Well, maybe a little bit afterward. (laughs) But it's certainly nothing compared to the joy of holding that little one in your arms. So the sorrow is gone in an instant. And hello, joy. Hello, joy forever and ever and ever and ever. And boy, we haven't even begun to see the joy. I hath not seen, ear has not heard, neither has entered into the heart of man, the, of man the things that God has prepared for us. I can't wait to see heaven. I mean, just the little description we're given in Revelation is just unbelievably magnificent. Boys, there's going to be joy, and it'll never end. How true, how very, very true for the Christian who places his or her faith in the Lord Jesus is the f- fact that 
weeping will endure for a night for during this life and live it to the fullest redeem your time wisely live it for him and just realize that joy cometh in the morning I wonder if their jars of spices, you know, their myrrh and their aloes and their ointments, which were symbols of death and sadness, I wonder if those jars slipped out of their hands as they grabbed one another. You know how women are prone to do when you hear good news, you just grab one another and they were so happy. And they, do you think they ever thought about that spilled ointment or spices again? I think they were like the woman at the well who was so excited to go back to Sychar and tell everybody she'd met the Christ that she left her water pot. I think they just left their jars of spices right there at the tomb. Uh, But um, where was I? Isn't it wonderful that the, the angel did not merely give the same basic message that Mary Magdalene was at this same time running off to give to Peter and John, which is... He is not here. Aren't you glad the angel didn't just say he is not here? What if he had ended his message with that? He is not here. And then it said, fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here. Would that have been very happy and joyful? Would that have brought comfort to to the women and hope and gospel life to the hearts and souls of those who were grieving would that have brought hope and joy and gospel life to any of us here today fear you not he's not here (laughs) not at all in fact when we we find that when mary returned to the tomb you know after she gave her non-true message to peter and john what do we find her doing when she goes back to the tomb she's weeping is she full of joy No, she's weeping, John 20, verse 11. The absent body message, he's not here. The absent body message would be an empty message without the rest of the angelic announcement explaining why he is not here. It's not because anyone took his body and hid it somewhere. There is a uh, theory that there was a gardener named Judah. Have you ever heard that? The Judah, the gardener theory? That Judah the gardener took his body and hid it somewhere and then years later brought it out. I'd never heard that one. That was a new one to me. But uh, (laughs) the angel said he is not here. Why? Because he is risen. Nobody took the body and hid it. It's not even that a delegation of angels came and carried away his body somewhere. Rather, it is that he is risen as he said. You know, the angel gave the women two confirmations regarding the reality of Christ's bodily resurrection. The first is that it was the fulfillment of the Lord's own words, his own predictions. Do you notice how the angel was so careful? We see this several times with the other angels too. To say, as he said, he's very careful to include that. The angel is putting an emphasis on the importance of believing the words of the Lord, isn't he? The emphasis is on believing his words. If they had done so, If these women had believed the Lord's words, they could have saved themselves a whole lot of grief. The angel, of course, he's merely God's messenger. He's speaking for the Lord. He seemed here to be not only reminding the women, but slightly rebuking them when he said those words. 
In essence, he's saying, why are you seeking the crucified Jesus? Do you not remember how many times he told you that he would suffer and die, even by way of crucifixion, but that on the third day he would rise? Did he not tell you ahead of time exactly what would happen? Did he not give the example of Jonah being three days and three nights in the belly of the whale? And that is what, that's the sign. That's what would happen with him. Remember how they believed that resurrection wouldn't happen until the end of the, of history, way at the end, and it would be general? Well, is that what happened with Jonah? He waited to come out of the belly of the whale until the end of history? And it was general with everybody, not just Jonah? No, he gave them that sign, specific sign, didn't he? Did not he correct Martha when she said that she knew her brother Lazarus would rise from the dead at the end of the world? Didn't he correct her by actually raising her brother when? That very day. Do not you see, the angel is basically saying to these women, that you can take Jesus literally? When he says, I'll rise on the third day, you can take him literally? Do you not know that he always honors his word and keeps his promises? Don't you know that if you forget or dismiss his promises, you're going to spin your wheels doing a lot of completely wasteful things? like preparing unnecessary spices and ointments, and you're going to worry about a lot of things that likewise are needless concerns, like how to remove great stones. Do we spin our wheels doing a lot of this stuff? Doing things that are unnecessary, worrying about things that we don't need to worry about. And don't you know that you're going to shed many unnecessary tears and experience much needless sorrow? Give more attention, he was telling these women, and that's what he would be telling us today. Give more attention from here on to the infallible word of God. Hide every promise, every precept, every principle in your heart, because his word does not fail, and it will not return void. Can you and I believe what he says about the yet future events of his return and rapture and all that? Yes, of course we can. He said he would rise on the third day. So, ladies, he's saying, this is the third day, and guess what? He's not here. He's risen, as he said. It's like you talk to a two-year-old and say, okay, this is it. I mean, it is pretty simple, isn't it? The second confirmation the angel gave the women was the proof of the empty tomb. He invited them to enter the tomb and to see for themselves the evidence of the Lord's resurrection. He said, come see the place where the Lord lay. Verse 6. Compare what you see in the tomb, ladies, with what you heard from the Lord himself and put those two things together and you will surely believe. Then, knowing with confidence that the women... Uh, uh, that what the women would see and that they would believe, he um, went on to give them the rest of the message that he had been instructed by the Lord himself to give to them for them to give to the men, right? Here's the rest of it in verse 7. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him 
And it was like he was relieved. He gave his message. He said, lo, I have told you. I have given you the message I was responsible to give you. Isn't it just like our wonderful, compassionate, gracious, merciful Lord that he wanted these dear women to be quick? You notice that word, go quickly? He wanted them to quickly give the report of his resurrection to his weeping, despondent disciples. What do we see on display once again? The Lord's mercy here. Think about this. One had denied him. Peter. Peter had denied him. They all had deserted him at his greatest hour of need. And only John had been there at the cross, at least nearby. Maybe the others were far in the distance, but only John had been there for him while he was suffering for six hours on the cross. They had not been bold enough to be at the crucifixion site on Thursday, nor did they believe enough to be at the tomb site on Sunday morning. They had dismissed In their minds, they had dismissed his much-repeated promise of a third-day resurrection, not believing him enough to even remember it. That's what's incredible. They don't even remember that, even after all he had shown them for three some three years that he was capable of doing. Can you imagine being in a boat in a storm and afraid you're going to drown, and he says, peace be still, and instant calm? Can you imagine seeing... Dead people rise, Lazarus come out of his tomb. All the things, all the miracles that those men had seen and understood Jesus was capable of doing, performing miracles, that he was Lord of all and could do anything. But none of that, I mean, you know, they really had little faith to not believe that he could rise from the dead, as he said, on the third day. But even not even to remember it, that's amazing that they didn't remember it. But you see, none of that, mattered to the long-suffering love of our great Lord. What did he want more than anything? He wanted them to quickly go from weeping to joy. He wanted them to know the great news, the good tidings of eternal joy, and to know it as soon as possible, as soon as those women could get their feet moving and get to them. They may have forgotten his prediction to them in the farewell discourse, Remember right before he's arrested, the farewell discourse in the upper room? Do you remember these words he told them? He said, "Um, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice. Was the world happy that they finally got rid of Jesus? Yes, they're still trying to get rid rid of him, aren't they? But he said, You're going to be weeping and lamenting, and ye shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned to joy. That was a promise. He had given that to them Thursday. And they didn't remember it, did they? But even in their failures and even in their weak faith, the Lord loved his men. He did not want them to spend one extra moment in their crushed state of despair. So there's not even a hint of of, uh, rebuke in the message that he gives to the women through the angel for his men. It was completely a message of comfort and exceeding great joy. That's grace too, isn't it? You think after what they did, one denying him, all, you know, scattering from him, that he might have rebuked them a little bit, but nothing. No, not a word about it. He just says, tell my disciples I'm risen from the dead and I'm going to go before you in Galilee. Of course, we know he sees them later that very day in Jerusalem, which is exciting. 
Well, as we find out when we continue to read through the gospel accounts, the women obeyed. Yay! Again, women. They obeyed. They obeyed the command of the Lord through the angel. They went quickly to report the good news of the resurrection to the disciples. So who were, here's a great question, who were the first proclaimers of the gospel message? Women. Don't you love it? (laughs) I mean, this is a woman's day, this lesson, isn't it? First ones to hear the resurrection message, the first ones to see the resurrected Lord, and the first ones to proclaim the complete gospel message were all women. They were women who had been eyewitnesses of all three tenets of the gospel message. They had been there to witness the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So isn't it only right? I mean, none of the men were there. Remember, we talked about this for all three. But the women were. So I think it's only fair and balanced, right, <laughs> that they were the first proclaimers of, of the resurrection, the gospel message. Was the Lord Jesus not once again choosing the weak to confound the strong? Was he not also lifting up women who at that time and in that culture were treated very, very poorly. Aren't you thankful that Jesus Christ came along and elevated women? I am. Had you ever thought that maybe the reason, or at least one of the reasons, God allowed women to be the first ones to proclaim the was to counteract another day in another garden? I remember the tomb was in a garden. It was a garden tomb. Maybe it was to counteract another day in another garden when it was a woman who had passed on another message from an angel, actually a fallen angel, to a man. Hmm. A message that consequently brought the whole world into death and tremendous sorrow. In that situation, remember... The angel did not encourage the woman's faith in the Lord and in his promised word, did he? Instead, he encouraged her to doubt God's word. Instead of saying, as he said, he questioned, Yea, hath God said? What a difference. Was it not the grace and mercy of the Lord who have now sent a holy angel to some of the daughters of Eve in a garden where tombs reminded them of the price of sin, sent this angel for the purpose of assuring them of the absolute reliability of God's word. Not to doubt God's word, but to trust it as he said. Instead of the evil message of doubt and disobey, the message was come and see. That's all you have to ever do to somebody when you witness to them. Come and see for yourself. The evidence is abundant. God was graciously allowing women to counteract Mother Eve's tragic role back in Eden. By giving them the honor and the privilege to be the first proclaimers of victory 
over sin and over death and over the grave. And that message was proclaimed to the sons of Adam. They were the first ones to proclaim in effect that the head of the dreadful serpent named Lucifer and Satan had been crushed, a fatal blow from which he would never, ever recover. Well, the women accepted the angel's invitation to come inside the tomb and see for themselves what it had to tell them. And boy, it had a lot to tell them inside there, didn't it? So we turn now to their entrance into the tomb and the additional short message that they received from another heavenly angel who we're going to call the tomb shelf angel. Why is that? Because he's sitting on the hewn out shelf inside of the tomb. So let's turn to Mark 16. I don't have much left, so don't panic. Mark Mark 16. And let's look at verses 5 to 7. All right, Mark 16, 5. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrighted. And he saith unto them, Be not affrighted. Don't you love that word, affrighted? (laughs) Be not affrighted. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. And then he goes on and says, But go your way, tell his disciples, and Peter, oh, that was gracious to throw in Peter, that he goeth before you into Galilee, there ye shall see him as he said unto you. And they went out quickly, blah, 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 blah. We'll talk about all that next week. Not expecting to see yet another angel, we're told that these women were affrighted to see, when they go inside the tomb, a young man sitting on the right side. His clothing and his message tell us that he too was another heavenly Uh, messenger angel he's sitting on the hewn out rock shelf which the lord's body had been laid on by joseph and nicodemus and that's why we refer to him as the tomb shelf so we've had the tomb stone angel and the tomb shelf angel now because the women were again frightened i'm sure you know they they knew there was one angel outside but when they went into this dark tomb they weren't expecting to see another one and he sort of scared them so he set about also to immediately comfort them by saying be not affrighted you seek jesus of nazareth which was crucified he is risen he is not here and then likely pointing to the shelf upon which he was sitting it tells us the angel was sitting right there on the right side of that shelf he pointed down at it and said behold the place where they laid him Did you notice that both angels, the tomb shelf and the tomb stone angel, mentioned the Lord's crucifixion? They both mentioned it. So not only were there many human witnesses to Jesus' crucifixion, but there are also heavenly messengers of the truth of his crucifixion. There are people who do not believe Jesus was ever crucified. One of them was Muhammad, who began Islam, the religion of Islam. Did not, I think I told you this, did not, does not believe or did not teach that Jesus was actually crucified. It's amazing, but there were many witnesses, and here we have heavenly angelic witnesses to the truth of his crucifixion. It is a historical fact, by the way. It is an historical fact that Jesus was crucified. Also, both angels put the crucifixion in the past tense, didn't they? That he was crucified. He is not still on a cross. When you see Jesus hanging on a cross, it's called a crucifix. It's wrong. He is not still hanging on a cross. He does not need to be re-sacrificed over and over and over again. 
which is what also goes on in some churches. The women needed to shift their focus from Jesus crucified. And don't you know that's what had been in their minds? They probably couldn't sleep at night during those two back-to-back Sabbaths because they kept picturing him up there bloody and awful on the cross. But they needed to shift their focus from Jesus crucified to Jesus resurrected. Put the sorrow behind for the joy has swallowed it up. There was no need to wrap a dead body in more spices. They could now worship a living Savior. His body was not stolen by his friends. His body was not removed by his enemies. His body was not even taken by angels. He is risen, just as he said. Now, the angel, whose words are recorded by Mark, interestingly included... Which disciple's name? Who, who was singled out? Peter's name. When, he was, when the uh, women were instructed to go tell the Lord's disciples and Peter. That's interesting. Uh, most agree that Mark, this is young John Mark, he got his, uh, well, of course he was divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit, but he got his uh, testimony of the account of Jesus from who? From Peter. Peter. John got his, you know, he, he talked to Peter and Peter told him everything and, he, and John wrote, Mark wrote it down. John Mark wrote it down. So don't you think that's why Peter has this in here? Because when the women came running back and said, the Lord said to tell you and Peter to meet him in Galilee, that meant a lot to Peter, a whole lot. Because uh, he had denied having any relationship whatsoever with the Lord, not just once. Not just twice, but three times, and he threw in curses. So I'm sure that he might think that Jesus would disown him. And if the message had just been to the disciples, Peter might have seriously wondered if that still included him. However, by singling out Peter's name, the Lord was lifting Peter's spirit. Because he would then understand that he would be just as welcome as the other disciples to see the resurrected Lord in Galilee. Of course, he even met, we find out, privately with Peter before they get to Galilee. He meets with all 11 in the upper room, and then he meets in Galilee, and he meets singularly with Peter. But, okay, let's look at Luke 24, verses 3 to 7, the two standing angels, and then we'll quit. Luke 24, verses 3 to 7. Now, this is interesting because we're going to be talking here about different women. We just talked about the other Mary and Salome. They're gone now, okay? They've run off to do the angel's bidding and to tell the disciples and Peter that the Lord is risen. And this is another group of women, starting in Luke 24, verse 3. It says, and they entered in and found... Well, let me actually back up. Let's start in Luke 23, 55, so you see who these women were, all right? Because you know in the Bible the chapters are not inspired, so it just actually continues. So let's start at verse 55. And the women also which came with Jesus from Galilee followed after, this is following after Nicodemus and Joseph as they're taking Jesus to the tomb, and beheld the sepulcher and how his body was laid. And they returned and prepared spices and ointments and rested the Sabbath day according to the commandment. Now it just continues. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they, who is they? 
those women. This is a different group of women who had traveled with um, Jesus from Galilee. They came unto the sepulchre bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulchre. And here's where we start our verses. And they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass as they were much perplexed thereabout. Behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, This is the angel speaking to the women. Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And this is wonderful. I love verse 8. And they remembered his words. Finally! Finally, somebody remembered. Of course, they had to be reminded, and then when they were reminded, they remembered. Okay, as in verse 1, we note that the Lord, that Luke's use of the pronoun they refers back to those women who had come with Jesus from Galilee. These women did not go to the tomb with the two Marys and Salome. Remember, when the shepherd is smitten, the sheep scatter. So they're coming to the tomb from somewhere else. We don't know where. And they obviously arrive at the tomb after all three of the first women were gone. Okay, they're all gone now. And this other group of, of many women, actually it told us in Matthew, this group of many women come to the tomb. And just like their predecessors, when they get there, they notice that the stone is rolled away. And they go inside, not like Mary, they actually go inside to take a look. There's no mention of either the tombstone angel outside sitting on the tombstone and no mention of the tomb shelf angel sitting inside. On the shelf. What we do read about in Luke is that when the women go in the tomb and look around and are perplexed by what they see, which of course is the empty grave clothes, suddenly two men in shining garments are standing there by them. You know, they can appear and disappear and suddenly there they are. And that of course causes them to be greatly afraid. And what is their reaction? What do they do? They fall down on the ground, not as dead men, but they fall down on the ground, um, bowing their faces before these heavenly creatures. Because of the sudden visibility of these two creatures and because of the description of their garments, what can we surmise? Who are they? They're angels. They're angels. And they're probably the same ones already mentioned, don't you think? I think it's the tombstone and the tomb shelf angel, two of them. And now they suddenly both inside and they're going to talk to the second group of women. And they give almost the same message that they had spoken to the other women. But this time they open their conversation with the question, why seek ye the living among the dead? Would you like to know what that is literally in Greek? Why seek ye the living one among the dead? The one they sought was life himself. So why would you look for life inside of a tomb? The two angels then said the same thing that they had individually told the women in Matthew and Mark's account. He is not here. He is risen. And then they speak this gentle reminder rebuke. I call it a reminder rebuke. (laughs) They say, remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee? You spent years, ladies, with him up there. 
saying that son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day he rose he will rise again and now that they were reminded of his words guess what they finally did remember <laughs> that Jesus himself had said that he would rise on the third day it's probably like oh is that what he meant aha <laughs> And uh, everything changes. I mean, you could look at the verbs. I think one of your homework questions is that. You look at the verbs before they get there and all the things. And then once they remembered, everything changes and the verbs are all exciting. They go and they run and they're happy and da-da-da-da-da. But with the remembrance of the Word of God, everything changes. It finally all comes together. Oh, is that how all things work together for good? (laughs) It clicked, you know. The light bulbs went off and the sun had been shining all along. It was it was early morning, wasn't it? The sun was out, but they simply before they couldn't see it. Because why? Why couldn't they see the sun? Here's the reason. They had forgotten the word of God. That's it. The sun is always shining. The only reason it's dark in our lives is when we forget the word of God. They had forgotten the promise of Christ. Or they had made a non-literal interpretation of the word of Christ. Either way, they were the ones who were responsible for putting dark shades over their spiritual eyes. They thought the sun was gone from them forever when he was shining brighter than ever before. And you know what? That's really something we can apply to our own lives, isn't it? Let's pray. Father, we pray for anyone who might be among us who is in a state of denial or doubt. We pray this for any of our children or husbands or loved ones who do not yet know you or for any who profess to know you but but don't have a living faith. We ask, Father, bring them out of merely intellectual acceptance to having a conviction that is as deep as life itself, a supernaturally granted persuasion of the truth of who Jesus Christ is. And those of us who truly know him rejoice that you have blessed and have granted to us release, freedom from the snare of Satan and the darkness and and the vanity of our natural minds. Thank you for freeing us from relying on our own understanding that we don't have to be wise in our own eyes, that we can accept the absolute authority of your word. We love you. We thank you that you are indeed risen, just as you said. For we pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.